We are still in Revelation. God willing, tonight we'll make it out of chapter 2. Tonight's letter is the uh, one to the church at Thyatira. And you remember I said that uh, each of these letters has got three different readings, each of which I think are valid. One is it's a real letter to a real church that has a real situation that Yeshua is writing to correct. So historically, this church existed and this was its char- these were its characteristics and Yeshua had this to say to it. It's also prophetic in that as you look at the seven letters, they mirror seven stages of the growth of Christianity from the time that Yeshua was crucified until in the future. So in that sense they're prophetic. And then finally they're homiletic because each of the churches has some problem, which means that the people in those churches have that problem and those problems are available to us today. Now, Thyatira is interesting. If we look at the sequence, uh, where Ephesus was the apostolic church, and then Smyrna was the church under persecution, and then Pergamos was the church that started to compromise with the world, Thyatira becomes the Catholic church, uh, what we know as the papacy. And as we read this, I'll go through and I'll point that out, and and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. If you were getting a letter like that from the Messiah, with that heading, that would jerk the slack out of you. Because all of those symbols represent judgment. And, you know, eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze, those represent God coming back and he's not happy. Okay? And he's coming back in judgment. So, as I say, if you get, if you get a letter from Yeshua in your mailbox tomorrow and it starts off like that, hit your knees and, and just sort of stay there for a while because you got real problems. Okay? And, and this church does have real problems. I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. All right. That's as good as it gets. Okay? It goes downhill from there. It's the only thing he's got that's good to say. One of the characteristics of the Catholic Church, and for which he is commending them, is they do really well at community. Charity work, uh, community... Um, all of that kind of thing, taking care of each other. Catholic Church is really good at that. Um, Social club is too glib. They're good at taking care of people. Yeah, they do orphanages. They do lots of charities. uh, They take care of each other within the community. Um, They're very good at that. And yeah, yeah, gift of hospitality is another. Yeah, sure. And, and that's a good thing. Yeah, as I say, the Catholic Church does lots and lots of good stuff. Okay? And Yeshua makes note of it. And, and he nails them. I mean, he, he said, that's what you're good at. And they are. They have been historically. They are still today. But as I say, that's the end of it. <laughs> From there on, it, it, it goes badly downhill. Verse 20. 
But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. All right. From here on, the subject is going to be women. Okay? And it's going to be feminism, femininity, the female, I mean, however you want to describe that. All of this has to do with that. And in the Catholic Church, both historically and today, the way you see that is in the emphasis on Mary. Okay? And that's the same thing today as it was then. And I'm going to go into all of that and how it traces back to where it traces back to. But I want to sort of take a swoop through here. But be attuned right now that what we're talking about is the feminine and we're talking about idolatry and we're talking about sexual immorality. And we'll talk about all of that in the context of Jezebel and, the, and who she represents. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. In other words, I warned her and she wouldn't do anything about it. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, and who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you, I say, do not, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you, have, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. There's just so much stuff in there, and I'm going to try and untangle it, but it's it's just a bunch of stuff. All right. Remember, if you will, back in the book of Numbers, where we have Balaam is sent to curse Israel, and he can't do it. And we, and we talked about Balaam last time under the church of uh, Pergamum. And the way that Balaam finally earned his commission, if you will, is he told Moab, I cannot curse Israel. Only Israel can curse Israel. And the way you get Israel to curse Israel is to basically lure their men into sexual immorality with temple prostitutes and get them committing sexual immorality and get them going to idolatry for sexual reasons. In other words, the the goal is to get them into idolatry. The sex is the thing that lures them in. Okay? That pattern has been going on ever since at least Babylon. Okay, and I'm going to trace all this back to Babylon for you. It says up at the beginning in verse 18, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And then down 
at the bottom, to the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That goes with the eyes like a flame of fire and the feet like burnished bronze. In other words, what he will give them is rulership on earth. Okay? Now, why is that relevant to this particular letter? I'll tell you, since you asked. As I say, it starts off being written by the one who is the judge and the one who has the eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. And what he'll give him them is rulership and only to the conquerors, the overcomers. Okay, Remember, you've got a group in there who has not bought into this business with Jezebel. And what he says to them is, those of you who have not bought into Jezebel... Hold what you got. I don't lay anything else on you. In other words, the mere fact that you have held out against that is enough. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, because you've got the good works up above, and if you you just don't fall into that, then that's what you then then it's okay. And to those who who resist that, then I will give rulership over the nations, and they will rule them with a rod of iron and so forth. Right? What is the defining characteristic of the Catholic Church under the papacy? They have sought worldly power. What they have sought is to rule the nations. That's what the whole story of the Middle Ages and and so forth was. Once you got a strong papacy in Rome, is the Roman popes entered into politics with both feet. And they were trying to, you know, raise up kings, take down kings. Uh, They had kings coming to them to be um, crowned, and they were trying to be the secular power in the world. Because the Pope got to draw that line in the 15th century. Right. Yeah. comment was that's why Brazil speaks Portuguese and Argentina speaks Spanish, is because the line between them was drawn by the Pope. So the Popes have been power players in the world ever since there was a papacy. That's a, that's a characteristic of the Catholic Church. And notice what is being given to those who do not succumb to the lure of Jezebel. What you're getting is that thing that the Catholic Church has been trying to gain, which is worldly power. But it's now worldly power that's given by the Messiah himself instead of worldly power that is taken by the Catholic Church under false pretenses. Yes. Comment was, if Jezebel represents adultery, isn't idolatry considered by God to be adultery on the part of Israel? Yes, it is. 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as we've talked about, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. So what he's saying is, I have authority over the nations. That's Psalm one or Psalm two, right? Psalm two talks about the authority given to the Son by the Father, right? And so what Yeshua is saying here is, just as I have that authority, I will give it to you. And what I'm saying is, that is measure for measure what they are trying to achieve, and what is their downfall, because their downfall is in trying to. Uh, achieve secular power, but not 
by the authority given to them by Yeshua as it will be here. In other words, it's a, it's a false attempt uh, to gain power that, that isn't legitimate. And so at the end then, that's what they will be given. And 28, and I will give him the morning star. Here we go. That's where we launch. Morning star is an interesting turn of phrase. It is a turn of phrase that Yeshua uses for himself. And it, in Revelation, at the end, I think 22, 22.16, and this is Yeshua speaking, I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, that's a significant title because that title goes all the way back to Babylon. And in Babylon, it's not applied to Yeshua. It's applied to Ishtar. Okay? Mm -hmm. And in in the Babylonian, her name is Inanna. I-N-A-N-N-A. And that goddess goes forward in history as Isis, as Ishtar, as uh, Venus. She shows up all throughout history and she and her symbol is Venus the the planet right and it is the case that if you and and Brian hold me honest on this one I'm sure you actually know this I just looked it up Venus is interesting because Venus goes between being the morning star and the evening star okay depending on the time of year and it makes that transit twice a year and and if you look at Venus is between the earth and the sun, okay? So you got the sun, big, big, and Venus whirling around it, and then outside of that, the earth whirling around it. So when Venus is right up against the sun, you can't see it. At least, I mean, you can see it with the Hubble or something like that, but you can't see it with your naked eye when it's up against the sun. Similarly, when Venus is on the far side of the sun, you can't see it. So what happens is Venus is gone for several months in the winter. In the summer part of it, what it does is it goes from being the morning star, yeah, the morning star to being the evening star in a period of about a week. Okay? Then it goes on the backside and is gone for a long time, and and the the sequence of all of that, as as you say, is not annual to the Earth. It's, in fact... I don't know what you would call it, but you know, annual to the the combination of the two systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the Babylonians, when it was the morning star, associated it with Inanna, and when it was the evening star, associated it with Tammuz. The name of the Hebrew month, Tammuz. That that Tammuz. That's the one. That's the Tammuz we're talking about. Later on, they figured out that it was, in fact, the same body, okay? And, and so you've got various myths about this. The, the legend of Inanna is she is a goddess, and she goes, basically, the legend, it's the same legend as, uh, and I don't know how to say the Greek, it's either Persepone or Persephone, I'm not sure which pronunciation is. I've heard 
pronounce Yeah, I've heard both pronounce it. Anyway, it's the, the, the legend is the goddess who goes down into the underworld, and while she's down in the underworld, it's winter, and she comes back up, and you have spring. Okay, it, it's basically the same legend, except about 2,000 years earlier. So anyway, she goes through this process where she go where as as the you approach this short period of time um, where she's down in the summer, if you will. Depending on the year and depending on the cycle, that can be anywhere from eight to three days. And the legend is she goes down there and she is killed, and she raises from the dead three days later. Okay. And she is called the Morning Star. She is also called the Queen of Heaven. Ding, 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 ding. She is also called the Queen of Heaven. So you're, you're dealing with death, resurrection. You're dealing with the Queen of Heaven. Interestingly, in all of the legends that they see of her, she is never the good side of women. In other words, she's never really a mother. She's never really a helpmeet. She's never really a wife. What she is is basically a vixen. And, you know, sexually available, you know, party girl, basically. And you never see the side of women in her that is the side of women that is celebrated by Judaism. In other words, it's all flash and dash, and, and, and fun and no stability. So anyway, she's called, she's called the Queen of Heaven. She's also called the Morning Star. Now, the first council of Ephesus in 431, the first, they had three Ephesian councils in the early church. And the first one was in 431. And the big question there was, is Mary, can we call Mary the mother of God? Not the mother of Yeshua, okay? Because the fact that she is the physical mother of Yeshua is beyond dispute. It's biblical. No problem. No sweat. But can we title her then the mother of God? And that council decided that they could. So at that point, Mary is off and running. She is, she is a going concern at that, pro, at that point, okay? She goes from being an innocent little Jewish girl who accepts an offer from God to bear the Messiah to being the Queen of Heaven. And that's the beginning of what we now see in the Catholic Church as as the veneration of Mary. And what I'm suggesting to you is that this goes all the way back to Babylon, and this idea of a female deity who is basically a seductive party girl, who is the queen of heaven, is Babylonian, and it has been carried right on through, and it shows up now in the Catholic Church. And it started in Pergamos, which was last time. And what it started there was compromise between the word of God and paganism. So by the time you get to Thyatira, the compromise has gone by the way of the boards, and you've got a full-blown pagan church. Okay, worshiping the Queen of Heaven, doing all of the stuff that pagan churches do. And if you studied pagan religions, I mean, if you wanted a good time on, on a Saturday night, you went to the temple. Okay, 
because you could get any form of sex you wanted, okay? You could get food, and you could get strong drink. The temple was where it was happening. And pagan religions that came out of Babylon are typically that kind of thing. They believe in cult prostitution, both male and female. Virtually any kind of perversion that you want, you could get in a pagan temple, and still can, by the way. They're just not quite as open here in the United States as they are in some other parts of the world, but the, you know, all that stuff is still going on. And now come back to our friend Jezebel. For those of you who don't have the story of Jezebel right on your fingertips, um, Jezebel was the daughter of a pagan priest. And she married the king of Israel. And, and this is after the two kingdoms had split, north and south. So you had Judah in the south, Israel in the north. And the king was a guy named Ahab. And he married this gal, Jezebel. And by the way, the modern of that is Isabel. Perfectly good name. And actually the name is, is a nice name. It just got a bad lady attached to it. Um, but anyway, Ahab, although he was king, was not a very strong man. And so Jezebel basically ran the show. And she did, she controlled him uh, in a number of ways. But basically she got him to murder somebody for, you know, take his uh, vineyard away from him. Um, she, when Elijah killed all the priests of Baal, she said, you know, tell that guy Elijah, he's, he's on top today, but tomorrow I'm going to see him dead in the streets. And Elijah said, oh, and beat feet out of there. So she was, she was a pretty scary gal. And notice how it's described. Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Well, the original Jezebel was the daughter of a priest. And is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So what she was doing is basically leading the northern kingdom into idolatry. Because remember, all these priests of Baal, they ate at her table. Okay, So she had a thoroughgoing, full-blown state religion of Baal worship going in the northern kingdom. And she was actively persecuting the priests of Yehovah, and remember, there were, what, a hundred of them left that were hiding out in caves and stuff like that. So she was, she was going after it. And, and notice what Yeshua says to those who overcome. He doesn't require them to take her out. He simply says, survive. And that was basically all the prophets of God could do in the northern kingdom until Elijah went in and took them out. But the, but the prophets of God in the northern kingdom were basically hiding out in caves. In other words, they were surviving. And that's what Yeshua says to those who are faithful to him. Just survive. If you survive and don't buy into her stuff, that's all I require of you. You, you guys dig in and survive, but I'm not expecting you to take her out. That's going to be something I'm going to have to do. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. All right, so what's that? If you go back to our pagan goddess, Inanna, 
the Sumerian text of an honest descent into the netherworld says, the sick woman is turned into a corpse. The corpse is hung from a stake after three days and three nights. She comes back up. Now, astronomically, it's closer to a week, but this is the Sumerian text. Interestingly, she is described as the sick woman in the Sumerian. And Yeshua refers to throwing her into a sick bed. Now, I don't know what that means. Everybody hear that? This is speculation. What do I think it means? Well, we're talking about sexual immorality. And even between men and uh, husband and wife, there are times when sexual contact is not not permitted. So one of the things that I think this could be is that he will throw her into a sickbed, as in her menstrual period, and then those who want to will come at that time and fornicate with her. Okay, I think that's all the kinds of things that are being talked about here, alluded to. I think that all of this is imagery from the Babylonian cult. And I'll, and I'll show you why in a minute, if you aren't convinced yet. Behold, I will throw into her sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart. Strike her children dead. What did I say about Inanna earlier on? You never see her as a wife and mother and a helpmeet. And I don't know, and I didn't you know, go through the legends that much, I don't know if she ever conceived any children with all of her fooling around. But if she did, it was sort of the casual children that get conceived today of all the fooling around that goes around now where the father basically doesn't stick around and the mother then either gets an abortion or if she decides not to get an abortion, you have a single mother in a one-bedroom apartment, you know, living off of whatever she has to live off of. Well, in the later legends, Venus does have a child. Yeah, and, and I'm saying, Inanna doesn't. So, you know, they may have buffed her up as she, because, as I say, the legends just move. Starts at Babylon, moves to basically the area around uh, Nineveh for the, at the Assyrian Empire, then moves to Rome, okay, then moves back to Istanbul, Turkey. So these, this cult basically follows power. And I think, by the way, it's alive and well in the United States today. Because all of these pathologies that are described here are alive and well in the United States. They all have to do with random, rampant sex which is what's been pushed since the 60s. And quite frankly, the pushing of random rampant sex in the United States is marketed as being divorced from children. Children are an unfortunate byproduct of having fun. I mean, that's, that's the catechism today. And if something goes wrong and you actually have one, then the convenient thing is get rid of it. And we've changed our laws, so that's now possible. Okay, And if you decide not to get rid of it, certainly you have no call on the Father to stick around. Okay, Because again, the catechism here is, this is just fun. There's no responsibility attached until there is. So I'm suggesting to you that this same 
mindset has now permeated the United States, Europe. Uh, it's just running rampant. And by the way, feminism is very much a part of this whole uh, mindset. So anyway, this idea of striking your children dead, well, children aren't a big deal here. They're, they're an accident. So she doesn't care about them, and Yeshua does, but he's saying, because of your conduct, your children aren't going to live. What do we have today? They say, it, it, it's all geared toward you know, fast times and quick fun. So to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned some of the deep things of Satan, what are the deep things of Satan? <laughs> That's the whole point. You don't want to know. And I don't know what they all are either. Uh, but one of the things that happens, in, I, I said that wrong. I don't know the deep things of Satan either. I know what they are. I don't know them, if that makes sense to you. If you look at mystery societies, and there are lots of mystery societies out there, and they tend to be pagan. Scientology, masonry, I mean, there are dozens of them. And they all have these deep secret things that they have. And, and as you work through your layers and, and going into these organizations, you learn more and more of the deep things of Satan. So I know of the deep things of Satan, but I don't know what, I don't know what the actual things are when you get down there. I simply know what the, the process is. Now does it make sense? And I don't really care what the things are when you get down there. So again, what he's saying is, there are several ways that people get sucked in, depending on what your temperament is. Sex is always a great one. Everybody likes sex. Okay? So if you can get a religion that's centered around basically free, rampant sex, you've got a real big draw right there. The next thing is secrets. I know something you don't know. And, and, and furthermore... If my religion says that the more secrets I know, the closer I am to whatever I'm trying to get to, God, the universe, and everything, whoa, secrets then become a really big draw. So as I say, if you've got a combination of sex and secrets and you have worldly power, I mean, you've got to go in concern. Okay? That's a good franchise to have. It really is. I mean, look at look at the look at the church today. So far. Yeah, look at the church today. Look at the great wealth. Look at the great power that it has. And you know, every now and then, another pagan cult tries to take it down. You know, they they, they sort of took a swing at the bishops over homosexuality. But again, in in pagan parlance, the temple is where you do that kind of stuff. They're they're sort of. in keeping with the traditions that they got from Babylon. Okay? Now, having said all that and lambasted everybody and so forth, understand that there are still some people in that church who are true prophets of God, true people of God. And to them, Yeshua says, just hang on. Just hang on. He doesn't require you to prevail. He doesn't require you to take out the Pope. He doesn't require you to do any of that. Just hang on. And hang on to what you got and don't go in for the sex and the secrets and the power. No very little Bible. 
Well, sure, that's a secret. No, I'm serious. The comment was, if this is a Catholic church, it goes goes with the fact that the the fact that Catholics, by tradition, don't spend a lot of time studying the Bible. You know, I came out of the Episcopal tradition, which is Catholic light. We didn't spend a lot of time. In, in fact, once I really started studying the Bible, I got out of there. No, I'm serious. That's the thing that got me out. Is studying the Bible. I said, "Whoa, wait a minute. This isn't right." What was the sermon on every week? Then? Sound bites, basically. Commentary. Well, no, it, it's homiletic, and, and don't get me wrong. There's, I mean, there's lots of, as I say, he says good things about this church at the beginning. They do good with community. So, I mean, you have homilies about, you know, giving to charity and doing good works, and you know, doing Torah in some sense. They're very good at it. And it's, you know, it's a very satisfying religion because it keeps you busy all the time. You know, they got, they got something for everything. One of the reasons my aunt converted late in life to Catholicism. And the reason she did is she says, I want a religion that requires something of me. And it does. It does. It's very satisfying. And there are, considering there, the number of Catholics, there are millions of them who are children of God. There's also a bunch of them that are pagans and are thoroughly mixed. So you can't you know, paint them with too broad a brush. This is aimed at the pagan side of the church. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So again, what he's promising them is the secular power that this, the Catholic church has been trying to accumulate for a thousand years they will finally get it legitimately under Yeshua, those who overcome. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. Okay, so what's that all about? The real deal instead of the facsimile? Exactly. The real deal instead of the facsimile. That's right. The morning star is Inanna, originally, the Babylonian deity who is symbolized by Venus, which is the morning star. Ah, because Yeshua calls himself the morning star. He says, I'm the real deal. This, ga- this pagan goddess is a counterfeit. If you go to uh, Isaiah 14.12, Lucifer is the morning the word for lucifer in hebrew is morning star morning star son of dawn where is that found isaiah 14:12 in other words the, the word is lucifer light bearer morning star and that is assumed to be a name for satan it may be far older than that how you have fallen from heaven o day star, son of the dawn in this translation, or it's morning star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Well, one of the things about Venus is it never does. Okay? Due to its orbit, it's always lower than the other planets. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly 
in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And this is about the, the morning star, son of dawn. And if you look at that as talking about the pagan cult of Inanna, that exactly matches, if you will, what the orbit of Venus doesn't do. Is that so it made sense? As I said, most commentators see that as being Lucifer, which is the I think the Latin translation of that word, as being a name for Satan. And it may be, or it may not. Uh, the other place to go is Jeremiah 44. And this is, um, he's down in Egypt. Remember, he got exiled to Egypt and was talking to the exiles down there. And I'm going to pick it up at 44.15. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Patros, in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah. He's, been, he's just been taking a stripe off of them, okay? As for the word you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. So it started off saying, you know, you and the horse you rode in on, right? We will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed. Make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her, as we did both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything, and we have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, When we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image, and poured out drink offerings to her? Now, notice what's going on here. The center of this is the women. The men are simply not stopping them. Go back to Jezebel. Jezebel wears the pants in that family. And she does a whole bunch of murderous stuff, and Ahab doesn't stop her. And that's what's happening here among the exiles in Egypt. Okay, So this business of sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven is way old. It is not something new with the Catholic Church. This pagan cult follows power. Okay, that's its purpose, is to have secular power, power over the world. That's what they want to do. And wherever the power is, the center of empire, that's where you'll find the center of this cult. So it moves depending on time. It's been in Babylon. It's been in Rome. It's been in Egypt. It's, I'm firmly convinced, in the United States now. And all it does is it moves with power. Because that's its goal, is power. Okay? And so what Yeshua says is, okay, you guys want power. We'll do power, but we'll do it on my terms. And I will give you the morning star, me. 
and the morning star will give you power, just like you think it does. In other words, you have been following this pagan, feminine morning star for the purposes of gaining world power. What I will do is give you world power under the rubric of the morning star, but that's me. And actually, who I'll give it to are the people who don't follow. Precisely. And I will give it to those who do not follow Jezebel. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.